Welcome to this edition of On Politics. I'm Dr. Eric Morrow at Tarleton State University, and we're glad you are joining us today right here on KTRL 90.5 FM. We Our show each week, I know here is at 12 noon on Sundays, but uh, if that's not a convenient time for you, you can certainly listen after the show on SoundCloud. That's On Politics with Eric Morrow, and all of our previous episodes are archived there. Uh, you can also uh, download as a podcast on Spotify or Apple. Uh, also, during the time if you're not able, if you're out of range and you can't hear us on the radio, then uh, it's on tarletonradio.com and you can live stream there as well. So I'm back this week and it's it's uh, it's me in the chair this week with, uh, with not out an interview, but we're working on that. Uh, we're coming close to the start of a new legislative session for the state of Texas. And I'm working to get a few interviews with uh, some of our area representatives, uh, some who've just been elected to office, some that were reelected as we go into that session, just to look ahead and see what are some of the significant issues. We did some of that over the past year where we had different people on in different capacities with political parties or with uh, advocacy groups and kind of looking ahead to some of the things that may be proposed in the next session. Of course, the big focus and, and the big question of concern, aside from how the legislature will operate in uh, the pandemic, uh, is the budget. Is looking at budget issues, revenue, where is revenue coming from, how, how far are we off from previous the previous year when the economy in Texas was really on fire at the end of 2019 into 2020, and of course has taken a hit, uh, sometimes very significantly over the course of the year uh, from the pandemic. So in the second part of the show, we're going to get into that uh, a little bit. Uh, we're going to talk about uh, the national economy here at first and some of the major issues, figures, some of the data that's just come out. We had a new jobs report this last week, uh, looking back over November, uh, especially in this time of transition. So if you look at the world of politics, if you tie into media at this point and, and watch what's going on, a lot is focused on the presidential transition, the transition of administrations from Donald Trump to Joe Biden, uh, from a, a Republican president to a, a Democrat president, and looking at what is happening, what's significant uh, with that. And so a lot of attention is focused there. Of course, there's still a lot of attention focused on the election, on uh, President Trump and his efforts or the efforts of his team and supporters uh, to question the election outcome around the country. Of course, that has not been successful. Uh, we continue to have high-ranking uh, officials in the Trump administration, uh, Bill Barr this past week, the attorney general coming out and affirming the integrity of the election overall, stating that there was no widespread fraud. Again, that doesn't mean that there weren't issues here and there that those need to be looked into, but you look at this, and we covered this on a previous show as well, how much transition there has been in the administration of elections uh, since what happened in 2000 in the Bush-Gore race and the problems with voting machines in Florida. There has just been a significant amount of change, even since 2016, where there was such a, a large percentage of elections that were uh, done without paper records. 
So a lot of it was done digitally. That swung back in the other direction to where over 90% of elections had some form of paper record that could then aid in terms of recount. It, it, there couldn't be questions here about digital manipulation or things like that uh, as a backup system to many digital systems that, as I explained in my experience here in Erath County, that were separated. They were not all tied together where there could be the, the issue of tampering and going in and, and, and in a, into a system and rewriting programming or anything like that. And so we saw all of these changes across the country over the past 20 years, even more so over the last four years, uh, to see that when you have over 150 million people vote and to have uh, this level uh, of, of competency in the system. And so, again, that doesn't mean, and I, I think this is something that, that should be emphasized, and this will be the work of state legislatures and others when the, we turn into the new year and we look to the next election, uh, that attention needs to be given to making it uh, even better or dealing with the issues that came up. Uh, again, probably voting ID, voting by mail, absentee balloting, all of this is gonna be in the mix in terms of conversations. Uh, we've mentioned on this show how uh, voting, uh, absentee voting, uh, that that probably aided candidates on both sides, given the, the turnout, given the early voting uh, that was done. I mean, there's just so many facets to this, but again, to see the outcome, to see the high level of participation, uh, I think is very significant in the way that the election functioned and then seeing uh, how we, arrived at the outcome we did, whether that for you is, a, is an acceptable one in terms of what you wanted or not. I mean, that, those are always the challenges of elections uh, in this country. So you see a lot of that focus in, in the world of politics. But if you, if you really look at the, the central issues right now uh, that are of concern, uh, they're related to two areas, and that is the economy uh, and the pandemic. And they're both interrelated uh, they're both, both very intertwined at this point. And I wanted to bring to your attention and point out a number of things today uh, that give you some of the background and even foundation in order to engage with this and, and then what to look for and watch in the weeks and months ahead, especially as we see more transition here, not just presidential, but also in terms of economic teams. That was one big thing that the Biden administration announced this week was the new economic team that would be coming in uh, for his administration, uh, but also in how the, that interacts with uh, hopefully progress on the pandemic. Uh, that's another area with the potential vaccines that are being implemented and how that is going to impact uh, the diminishment of the, the impact of the pandemic. So I wanted to start first with the economy. Uh, I'm focusing on these two issues today because I think in some way or another, these things are at the heart of where politics connects with a lot of people. Uh, that while some people may be wrapped up in the election and the, and, and the results and, 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 and some of those other issues that are going on, we see a lot of people that have been impacted by one or the other or both. They've either had some economic impact on their lives because of the pandemic and they could have had health given seeing the numbers that we're seeing across the country that we'll talk about in the in the second half of the show that the pandemic has had a significant impact 
and, and so we, I think these two central issues, and so I've pulled out uh, some things that I think are important for us to be watching whatever side of the aisle you're on, whatever political ideology you have, we have to look at the reality of what is going on and the means in which it's going to be addressed. And so that means a lot of focus is on uh, this transition between administrations. And when you're talking about politics and governance, I can't stress enough, and I think this is important for all of us to understand, that, uh, it, it, that economics, the economy, uh, the, the areas of, of support that the government gives, the amount of employment that the government offers, in this case, in the midst of a crisis, the amount of aid and support uh, that is coming from the government, uh, the role of the government in relationship to trade, uh, in relationship to labor, uh, all of this is, is so, so intertwined. And, and that's why it is important that we give attention to this, uh, that, that we look a little bit at who uh, will be coming in and advising the new administration, the president, the vice president, uh, who will be those senior economic advisors that uh, are really offering the substance, the thought, the engagement behind the decisions of an administration, the proposals, you know, again, we'll be uh, watching this election in January, which will determine the balance of Congress, uh, whether Democrats and, and Republicans or Democrats and independents are even with Republicans, thus giving the vice president a significant role in the upcoming Congress, or if Republicans maintain their advantage uh, via the election for two senators in Georgia. So, Still a lot to happen. There's just so many factors here that have not, uh, questions that have not been answered, events that have not happened to lead us to give a, a bigger picture of this. But I thought today would be a good day uh, in the midst of all this and seeing cases increase and the challenges of dealing with the pandemic, but also uh, the, the economy, some of the numbers, the information that we received this last week. So I turn here first uh, to the U.S. Bureau of Labor Statistics, which issued its monthly jobs report uh, this past week. And one of the things that the, the main headline in this report is that we saw uh, non-farm payroll employment rose by 245,000 jobs in November, uh, which edged the unemployment rate down to 6.7%. So on the surface, that sounds great. We're still moving in a positive direction. We see, still see the unemployment rate slowly coming down. But what this does indicate and does show is a slowing uh, of employment. And now one big portion of this that we have to emphasize is that the census process wrapped up and there were almost 90,000 uh, workers employed by the government in taking the 2020 census. And so that, that ended. And so there was a big portion of decrease uh, in employment uh, over this past month. But there are other indicators here too that we need to look at. And some of this is, is, is showing that while the stock market, yes, is, is, is stable and, and increasing, uh, while we have some other positive things, we also have some things that we bear, we're watching because of the impact that we've seen the pandemic have over the past year. Uh, with cases going up, with 
the possibility of restrictions being put in place across the country in different ways and di by different states uh, at the moment, even before a Biden administration uh, comes in and may do what they can do uh, to try to curb this uh, over the next uh, uh, couple of months before a vaccine can be fully rolled out uh, which may take up to six six to eight months. And so there, there's there's a, a lot that has to be done or challenges that have to be met uh, just even in the short term. So the, the, the report from the Bureau of Labor Statistics said that the pace of improvement in the labor market has moderated in recent months. Uh, in November, notable job gains occurred in transportation and warehousing, professional and business services and healthcare, but employment declined in government, as I mentioned with the census workers, and also in retail trade. And we've seen this decline happening in retail trade because the amount of uh, shopping purchasing happening is going online. Uh, in fact, online buying is up significantly. Uh, it, wa it was this year compared to last year. Uh, I think one number I saw is 52% increase uh, on Black Friday over last year. And so there, there's some significant um, changes here that have had an impact that uh, brick and mortar stores, storefronts, of course, with the pandemic, uh, have been affected. And so if we look more in detail here, there's a couple of things I want to point out with this uh, labor report before we look at some other figures as well. One of those is that the labor force participation rate edged down to 61.5% in November, uh, which is 1.9% below its February level. So we're looking at pre-pandemic. Pre, uh, the employment population ratio at 57.3% changed little over the month. So not significant change, but of course 1.9% of the, of the employable population is certainly a significant number. And that's where we get into uh, some of these other uh, figures here. In November, the number of persons not in the labor force who currently want a job increased by 448,000 to 7.1 million. So these are people who want to work, uh, but they're, they're not in the labor force. They've been out long enough that they're dropping out of these uh, uh, unemployment figures. So this measure is 2.2 million higher than in February. So that has has uh, almost increased by a third since February of the number of people who are out of the labor market but are looking for work. In November, 14.8 million persons reported that they had been unable to work because their employer closed or lost business due to the pandemic. That's another significant number. So we see that number increasing uh, because of businesses that are just not able to sustain themselves uh, during this time. I think one of those areas that's been hit significantly is in the leisure and hospitality area, which changed little in the month of November, but is down by 3.4 million jobs since February. So arts, entertainment, recreation, while showing a little bit of a comeback in the, in the thousands, uh, is still uh, is suffering, especially food and drink services, uh, down 17,000 jobs uh, in the past month. So really that's about even when you take all of the leisure and hospitality area together, some increase in some areas, a decrease 
but still down 3.4 million jobs uh, since the beginning of the year. So those are some challenging things. So we still see some areas while healthcare is increasing, we see uh, technology companies uh, increasing, uh, we see construction, modest gains, 27,000 jobs, uh, manufacturing up a little bit, 27,000 jobs. What we're saying is that there are certain industries and areas uh, that are getting, continue to get hammered uh, by the pandemic. And as the pandemic increases post Thanksgiving here, and we're seeing uh, rates, hospitalization rates, infection rates, and so on go up, the potential for more uh, closures or restrictions that could impact those industries even further. So th this is part of the reason why there is that ongoing request uh, for stimulus. Uh, and we seem to have made some progress moving in a direction to find some compromise in Congress uh, this past week, uh, because there are a number of people uh, that have received benefits from the CARES Act, which for many will run out at the end of December if it has not already. And the question is, well, how do you continue to provide resources uh, to people in industries and areas that uh, are just not able to find jobs, that have seen businesses close, uh, that uh, continue to see a, a sluggishness there uh, because of the pandemic that is probably going to extend uh, for weeks, if not months more. So these are questions uh, related to our economic conditions at the moment. And, and not so much if we're looking at the bigger picture of what is going on globally in terms of, of trade and so on, uh, but looking at it down to where it's actually impacting people. And, and what they're thinking about and engaging with when uh, they're looking at what govern, government is doing or not doing at this moment, what's being proposed, uh, what's going to happen uh, in this transition. So, so let's turn related to that in, uh, for a moment uh, to the virus uh, relief deal uh, that has been in discussion for months now, uh, where we might have seen some progress this past week uh, toward a compromise that may lead to something being passed uh, before the end of the year and thus implemented uh, early next year. Uh, so it seems that we found some common ground, at least in the short term, uh, on a package that would be estimated to be worth about $900 billion uh, that would help in some of these areas that have been hit most significantly. Now, the, the one area that all of these packages have looked at, or I should say two primary areas, uh, one is relief to state and local governments that have seen declines in revenue, thus are having challenges with balancing their budgets in providing uh, local services that could be police, healthcare, uh, emergency management services, schools is another area. Uh, all of these areas have been hit significantly, either in terms of cost that they've had to put in for safety measures related to the pandemic or loss of revenue because of the, the uh, people have stopped spending or businesses have closed or certain services are not being used such as we noted in the entertainment, dining, uh, hospitality areas. So this, this $908 billion bill is scaled down certainly from what Democrats in Congress were asking for. At one point, President Trump was asking for a $2 trillion uh, package uh, to then continue the CARES Act. This $908 billion uh, package that's on the table 
would initially deploy, deploy 160 billion to state and local governments. Okay, so that's again, the, one of the primary areas. The second area is additional unemployment insurance. So this is where states are also struggling is that they just do not have the resources to expand unemployment re, uh, payments uh, to people who are out of work and not able to find work. And so 180 billion uh, would go to that with 288 billion in new funding uh, for the Paycheck Protection Program. And then additional funding increases for vaccine development, distribution and testing for schools. And then for some of those business sectors that I have told you about in the, uh, in the recent report from the Bureau of Labor Statistics that have been hammered by COVID-19 and trying to provide them short-term uh, loans in order for them to remain uh, operational and to get through this period until they can get back and be uh, in demand uh, for their services. So this has picked up some traction. The four GOP senators uh, that are kind of in the middle there, somewhat the Republican moderates, Mitt Romney, Susan Collins, Lisa Murkowski, and Bill Cassidy, uh, have all supported this and presented it to Mitch McConnell. Now, again, the, the, the issue here is the traction in getting the votes, both in the House of Representatives and of course, Nancy Pelosi and Chuck Schumer have come out saying they would be willing to support this. So it seems that we are getting closer. Uh, I would think that within the next week, we are gonna have some kind of breakthrough with this that will move it forward. The president has indicated that he would approve it if it came to him. That puts the alignment in place that's really needed to then work on the more focused details of this and to try to get something uh, passed uh, in the next few weeks before the Christmas recess and with the hope that, okay, there's not gonna be too much of a delay uh, after the first of the year for this relief. Even President-elect Joe Biden has come out and saying, hey, this would be a good start. Let's get this in place. Uh, Congress should pass it. The president should sign it. This will be a step in the right direction. And the expectation most likely uh, is that once he comes into office, he is going to be pursuing another type of stimulus package uh, that will pick up where this one leaves off leaves off in looking at a hit at the impact of okay vaccines and where the economy is and how all of this is moving forward and where it will be in the short term and really really what will be needed I think that gives him the space to do that I think his administration a chance to do that to reassess this in the short term uh, rather than it being such a larger package uh, that may not um, be as flexible uh, uh, in the short term. So we're, there are there is some progress there. So I think that is something that is uh, uh, very critical in terms of the uh, economic impact that the pandemic has had. I think it, it's important uh, for government as we've seen it do so many times throughout the history of our country, but certainly in recent crises going back from whether it was after 9-11, whether it was the Great Recession, uh, and now the COVID pandemic, that the federal government has had this role. I mean, this has been a significant role of the federal government in being able to meet these crises and provide states the resources, get aid to people where it is needed. And it's, it's part of, I think, wrapping up 
and, and hopefully seeing an end uh, to this crisis uh, and in order to sustain people through it. I think that's a very much a focus. If we saw this, la if you saw this last week that uh, President-elect Biden announced his economic team. And I want to turn in this first segment for a moment to talk about that before we, we uh, take a, a break and shift gears here. But this is something that I would let everyone know that it's important to watch. I mentioned this at the beginning of the show, but I want to come back to it now. The people that are put in place around a president are so critical to the, the policy agenda, to the focus of an administration. And we could say a lot of these teams, we'll, we'll look at the national security team in the weeks ahead, but, but of all the important groups, the advisory groups that are there and all the important cabinet positions, these economic positions are, are quite significant, uh, especially when you're seeing a transition here. There was a, uh, an opinion piece in the Washington Post uh, that I, I think was very interesting uh, by Jennifer Rubin, who talked about uh, compared and contrast the two economic teams. Uh, I'll post this on Facebook, but uh, it, it looks at, uh, it's kind of her take on how different Trump's economic team is compared to Biden's economic team. And you have, of course, the crisis, the, the pandemic that's impacted all of this, but you also have an economic team that's coming in that is made up of people who have uh, made this their career, either in government, uh, in education, uh, not so much as, as much in the private sector, which is what we see with Trump's economic team. You've got uh, millionaires and billionaires. You've got people who have uh, had a, an extensive amount of, of experience in the corporate world. Uh, of course, dealing with government, government, that gives them a lot of experience doing that as well. But in this transition here, we're seeing a team coming in uh, that has uh, uh, been engaged in some way. The, these new appointees or, re, or, or nominations are people who have been in previous administrations, or they've they've been uh, they're professors at universities. They're they're engaged with the, the not just the theoretical, but the uh, the application of some of this in terms of the role of government. And so it's very very different. And I, I'm not here on the show to to weigh the value of one or the other, because we've seen that pendulum swing back and forth in different administrations. I think what's critical is that this is what is happening and what we're moving into for the next administration. And I think it's it's prudent for all of us to be aware of this and to, and to watch and look at it to see how it is going to work. Uh, some of the outcomes that President Trump touted uh, for his economic plans didn't materialize because of the pandemic. And, and, and who's to know then whether they would have materialized or not. But now you've got a crisis and you have a new administration coming in. And these are the people uh, that are being selected uh, to help navigate the economy uh, through that crisis uh, in the months and years ahead. And so I wanted to point out a few things about uh, this, this team and what it says about Biden's, as he said, core economic vision. He described it in that way in that press conference in naming these people and identifying their strengths and what they bring to his economic team. And what does it say about his economic focus? I mean, we know with Trump, it was uh, protect American manufacturing, uh, trade, uh, increase tariffs on, on foreign goods, uh, address some of these inequities that he saw with trade deals, uh, cut taxes, 
Uh, again, this kind of trickle down impact, if you cut taxes for the wealthy, then money will be further invested into businesses, employment will grow, more jobs will be available. Uh, again, we've, we've seen these similar types of things in the past. We've, we also know, as I said, that the pandemic had an impact on that uh, in not knowing uh, what the outcome really would have been. I mean, the whole, uh, the whole thing changed and was turned on its head uh, when COVID-19 arrived in this country and has had the impact that it has. So just briefly for a moment, I want to look at this, some of the members of this team, uh, not in detail in terms of bios and so forth. You can find a lot of that online and what their background is, uh, but, but there are some, some individuals here and, and what they bring to the table. I think that's important to understand of where the economic focus will be. Uh, the first, of course, is Janet Yellen, who's no uh, stranger uh, to uh, government as having been uh, the uh, chair of the of the Federal Reserve and now will it will be nominated as the first female uh, Treasury uh, Secretary and a couple of others we have uh, Cecilia Rouse as the first black woman to chair the Council of Economic Advisors, Neera Tandon as the first woman of color to head the White House Office of Management and Budget, and then Wally Adeyemo, who's his number two pick at Treasury, would be the highest ranking African-American. So right away we see, and this is the way it's being described in, in the media and identifying uh, the diversity here uh, of, of his team coming in, is that there is a focus on inclusiveness. Um, we see this in the messaging of the Biden administration and we see it uh, in others within the Democratic Party. Uh, that there was a strong emphasis on uh, the elements of racial inequality uh, and what they pointed to in saying, well, what's happening in, in, in the economy, what's happening in the workplace, what's happening in society at large, uh, there's a lot of racial inequities. And there have been, and in line with the focus of the Democratic Party uh, of, of the past, there's a focus here on trying to address those inequities uh, and, and address them in economic terms. And so part of this is not that Biden is choosing people who are, uh, that re represent a, a high level of diversity on his economic team just for the sake of diversity, but there are some very qualified people here. If you dig into some of their bios and you look at who they are and what they've done, uh, yes, you may not agree with their politics, you may not agree with their, uh, their, their ideas about uh, the economy, uh, but they are uh, very steeped in uh, their areas, in their fields, and in their engagement with uh, the economic challenges and mechanisms uh, of our government. So I think it's critical uh, to, at this point to, to watch that. Uh, and to, to, to note these things, the first being this, this attention that's going to be given in using government, government programs, uh, government resources to address racial inequities uh, in a number of ways. Uh, and a lot of that goes really hand in hand here with the pandemic. I mean, I think that's what we see with a lot of the things that were said at that press conference when he introduced his team is that the pandemic has highlighted a, a number of challenges in our schools, in our businesses, uh, in, in unemployment. 
and shows that there needs to be this kind of attention given to the worker, given to, uh, as, as Janet Yellen pointed out, uh, uh, workers who do not have college degrees, you know, that are relying on that living wage uh, and, and those opportunities uh, in, in, in a wide range of fields in the workplace. And, and it's not just limited to that. I just, I'm using that as an example to focus on uh, who these people are and where their focus is. That it's, it's much different than the, the Trump administration where the focus was on kind of corporate America, it's on uh, business growth, it's on uh, growth and trade, uh, it's on tax cuts, um, it's on um, uh, uh, in, in deregulating was another a focal point of the Trump administration. Uh, whereas it seems here that the Biden administration focus is very much going to be on uh, the, as the second thing I have here, the safety net. Um, it's, it's on addressing these inequities. How do we bring more equity to the marketplace and to the labor force and to the opportunities that are out there? But then how do we provide a safety net for those who are not able to participate fully in those opportunities or those opportunities right now because of the pandemic or otherwise are not available to them? So I think, again, we're going to see more focus on, and I think this would be expected, but on social programs, on health insurance, uh, Affordable Care Act, Obamacare, uh, uh, the, the swing in the other direction to how to strengthen that. Uh, and then the, the, of course, early on, and if we see this with additional stimulus, it's, it's the result of the pandemic. And so this is going to hit all of those areas, the unemployed, uh, the challenges in our education system, uh, the healthcare for sure. I mean, the, our healthcare system across the country and the challenges and inequities there in terms of addressing the impact of the pandemic. That, that's probably going to extend well beyond a Biden administration for decades to come. But this group and this administration is really going to set the foundation and, and the tone for that going forward and put in place things that will probably uh, uh, not come to fruition until well after this administration is no longer in office. So I, I ask you there, and the reason why I point to this is because if we try to pull back a lot of the rhetoric and a lot of the things that are going on and, and that, are, that are focused on the surface of, of politics, if we're looking ahead in terms of our country and the issues and the challenges and how they're going to be dealt with, as, as informed citizens, this is the level that we should be looking at. We, we should be digging a little bit deeper and listening to the messaging, looking at who's being appointed. Uh, and I'm not saying we have to go into depth on hundreds and hundreds of people that are going to be nominated uh, as a political appointees in a Biden administration. These key areas like this are always so important because these are the people you're going to see out front. These are the people that are going to be at the news conferences. These are the ones that are going to be following the president, talking about how they're addressing some critical issue. And so I think it's very important that we know who they are, what their backgrounds are, and how they're, they're engaging with these, these critical issues, because that's where I think it impacts us the most. It's not so much the uh, a party identification or ideological identification is as much as what they're actually doing and how they're using the power and resources of federal government to engage in these challenges that are impacting us all uh, in some way. 
So I'll post a few things on Facebook at On Politics with Eric Morrow, a couple of articles that I think you should read and look at uh, just to give you some background and some depth here in, in these key people who will be moving into uh, these positions uh, most likely within the next few months and will be uh, directing not just efforts at recovery from the impact of the pandemic, but also setting economic policy uh, for uh, the years to come. When we come back after the break, we're going to take a look at uh, economics in Texas, uh, some of the impact that the pandemic has had here and what that looks like going into the next legislative session. And then also, as I said, we'll do a check-in to focus some on the pandemic in terms of where we are now and what uh, we need to be thinking about both in dealing with these two issues, economics here, but also uh, the pandemic itself and, and where, where we're going with this and what we can do about it uh, when we come back after the break. Politics can be confusing, but On Politics with Eric Morrow has your back. Follow the show on Facebook. Search On Politics with Eric Morrow to stay up to date with the show and all the sources to follow right along. Welcome back to On Politics. I'm glad you're joining us today here on KTRL 90.5 FM. And it's me solo in the chair today without an interview, but there's so much to cover as we did in the first half of the show with the focus on the national economy, on the Biden uh, economic team uh, that will be coming in and how important it is to engage with that, uh, as well as the recent labor statistic reports and what that tells us about what's happening uh, with the economy and the impact of the pandemic. Before I get too far away from these economic issues, I want to focus a little bit on what's going on in Texas because we had some other news out this past week. Uh, one of the positive things, so we want to stress that because we all need some positive news uh, during this time, was that the uh, impact on state revenues does not appear to be as significant as it, it was thought to be in that the comptroller came out this past week and said that uh, you know, revenues were recovering. Now, they certainly were not back to break even. They were certainly not back to when the economy was on fire in Texas at the end of 2019 and into 2020, but the forecast looks better than what was expected. And I think that's some good news in all of this. I think the only concern I have right now with it in uh, researching this and teaching uh, uh, about the state economy and government classes is that the pandemic is not lessening. It's, it's getting more challenging. Uh, we're seeing this high increase, as we'll talk about in a moment, in the uh, percentage, hospitalization percentage of COVID patients, the infection rates, death rates, and we're on the cusp here of possibly seeing more restrictions and certainly impact on businesses. And that's not good right now. That's not good when you're getting this kind of news, but then we could be into some difficult months ahead in this cycle. So just as a, by way of information, we are in the, the uh, 2021 fiscal cycle. So the legislature, when they come into session in the spring, they will be looking at the budget for the next biennium. And that biennium will start September 1, 2021. So right now we're looking at what's the impact currently? How does that affect the current budget? 
in that will the governor with the lieutenant governor and the speaker of the house call for more budget cuts in this cycle which is very possible if this thing starts uh, to digress uh, or are we and looking ahead for the next budget so what is the forecast revenue forecast and really we 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 hope we're looking beyond the pandemic uh, to the the next budget cycle uh, that will begin uh, a two-year cycle September of 2021. So a couple of things that we have in terms of economic numbers from uh, for the state is that uh, since the pandemic, we had uh, 3.9 million unemployment claims. But if we look at this by the month of November, uh, that was 23,189 Texans uh, filed for unemployment relief. That That's the lowest number since March. So we've seen uh, a decline uh, in the request for unemployment relief. Uh, one of the things that we are seeing here is that while we've had some recovery, we're also seeing the long-term effects. So we're starting to see businesses struggle and, and, and close, some close that have not been able uh, to make it through all of this. So what this tells us too is that our unemployment rate remains double what it was at the start of the year. So that tells you how different things are right now. Uh, and then we also have, uh, uh, and that's at 6.9%, I should say that, uh, our current rate up from 3.5% uh, at the end of last year. The other area that gets hit significantly here is our sales tax revenues. So at this point, if we look October to October, we are down 3.5% in sales tax revenues. So that's not huge. Uh, we're talking about maybe three, four billion in terms of our state budget, uh, but that's, that's still money that is in the budget, the current budget that has to be uh, restricted, pulled back, uh, and may make it even more challenging to look ahead to the next budget if that percentage decreases, because it's, it's not just sales tax. So one of the things I'd recommend to you and that I, I like to look at and I direct students to this as well, uh, the comptroller uh, of the state of Texas, and you can go in and, and uh, Google Texas comptroller, they have a monthly state revenue watch online. This is accessible to you. Uh, I just put in Texas comptroller revenue watch and it'll take you to that website and you can look at it and it tells you uh, it gives you a picture of where we are versus last year. Uh, so the new update here in December, the, the numbers that just came out, has now have increased that sales tax uh, deficit to about 5.35% that we're down uh, from the previous year. Uh, the, the other areas, though, that are of great concern here, uh, if you scroll down and look at this, we will look at the oil production tax down 38.86%, uh, natural gas production tax 32.68%, uh, hotel occupancy tax down 39.23%. And while these are smaller pots of revenue, they add up. When you start adding up these other areas that go to specific parts of government, uh, whether it's general revenue from sales tax or whether it's designated revenue from some of these other areas, uh, it, it, it's, it's significant uh, in terms of the hit that it has had uh, on our state budget, which says our total tax collections 
uh, at this point from a year ago are down 8.38% overall. Uh, of course, you know, some of these areas like sales tax are a bigger area, a bigger total of the portion uh, of the revenue for the state. So I'm pointing this out because while there is some good news here, there's also some challenging news uh, in that uh, we are seeing some recovery, but that recovery, we need to be very cautious about it because of what's happening with the pandemic. Uh, the state is, uh, I, I would assume, although they're not, uh, there's not as, as many public statements about this, but state leaders, you would assume, are anticipating that the federal government will provide more stimulus. Uh, a lot of the stimulus that has come to Texas has been spent, a good portion of it on uh, unemployment uh, benefits. Uh, a good portion of it went to public education to help with resources for dealing with safety protocols and technology uh, within uh, school districts. Uh, there, others have gone to emergency management. Some of it has gone to testing, you know, healthcare uh, needs. Uh, all of those are areas that have, have, have benefited. Some of it has gone to a good portion, again, as we talked about at the beginning of the show with the potential of a new package to local governments to help plug holes uh, in their budgets because uh, state and local government uh, in Texas have balanced budget requirements. And so if they don't have the revenue coming in, then they've got to start cutting. Uh, some of it went to higher ed right here at Tarleton State. We saw some of it help cover uh, reimbursements to students for housing uh, who we had to leave early in the spring when the, the campus closed down. Uh, and we didn't, uh, they weren't able to be here uh, physically on campus. So there, there's still a lot of need. And these numbers, on the one hand, we've dealt with more significant challenges than this in the past in the state when we have an economy and a revenue structure that kind of goes up and down at least once a decade. We've got some crisis, whether national or state, uh, that impacts the state in a way that requires uh, budget cuts, but the, we also need to be careful. And that's what I want to spend the last part of the show that I have here on. That's kind of shifting uh, to the pandemic. We are seeing this explode. Okay? I, I, I don't think we can say it any other way uh, than to look at what is happening in the state now and to look at what's happening with the average number of daily cases uh, the, the number of, of deaths, although deaths have not been as uh, uh, percentage-wise, have not been on pace as what they were earlier in the year. But one of the critical things that we're seeing is hospitalizations. And early on in this pandemic, I did a show where we talked about the governor's executive orders and how he approached this. That threshold of hospitalizations, because of its stress that it creates on our healthcare system, that was a trigger. Uh, and, and recently in, in October, he set that again in that 15%. If, if hospitalizations in a certain part of the state for COVID reached 15% of capacity of a, of a hospital or, or of patients, I should say, then there would be uh, the opportunity for restrictions to go back into place to try to curb that. Well, we're starting to see that. We've gone from in October where there were about six regions of the state uh, that had reached that number to now 22 regions of the state 
and uh, the average, as of yesterday, the average uh, for COVID hospitalization around the state for, was at 13.9%. You've got high areas like in El Paso that's at 35%, and then you've got some lower areas in some rural areas, but even those are beginning to see it now where uh, their, their hospitals are at capacity, they're hitting that 15% mark in terms of COVID patients. And then when you look to metropolitan areas, which are the ones in which uh, rural hospitals would transfer people that they're not able to care for, uh, that's becoming very, very difficult to do. I mean, we're looking at a situation here where uh, there's no place to send someone. And, and thus the state and counties and so on are looking at, well, what do you do to provide additional hospital space? What, what are the solutions here? I mean, we've seen some things happen out in El Paso. We've seen in California. We've even seen in New York. Uh, Texas, we saw some of that back at the height of this in the summer, but not as widespread now as we see across the state where you've got uh, this really uh, a need and demand for greater hospital capacity. Uh, what this does, and I think this is where we all need to be aware, is that it, it begins to limit the, the ability of hospitals uh, to provide the regular services that they do for people uh, that may relate to not just elective surgeries, but preventative surgeries, corrective surgeries that are not life-threatening, that can be delayed, but that delay could create additional health challenges. And so we're seeing some of these problems right now. Uh, pe people are going to be turned away. Uh, their surgeries are going to be canceled or their treatments or whatever they need because there's not capacity to address that. Uh, and that's not good either because that impacts their long-term health as well. Uh, so one of the things that we're looking at in the next few weeks are we going to see any additional restrictions put into place? Right now, it's become very political because you have local elected officials in many places and certainly metropolitan areas who are saying, hey, we can't do anything. Uh, we're, we're at the limit of our power because when we've tried to do things, uh, the governor, the state has said no, uh, or there's been pushback, or the, uh, the state has not come in and reinforced what lo local governments have done, even though some of the, the executive orders that were put in place gave local governments some authority there. Uh, we've, we've, we've seen that challenge, not just by the way our, our state government functions, but uh, as I've talked about previously, how our political culture is in this state in terms of this infringement on individual freedom and economic freedom uh, that has created significant challenges and pushback by people. I mean, some areas, and you've seen it, uh, hopefully it's changing, but you could go and people are, are not wearing masks, they're not concerned about it, they're, they're going about doing whatever they want to do. Uh, uh, the issue with bars and restaurants and so on that's getting a lot of attention is bars just kind of uh, many reclassified as restaurants or already identified so they could continue to do what they were doing. But we were cre creating these environments in which it facilitated the spread of the virus. And then we hit the holidays, of course, uh, cooler weather and so on. It's all of these factors together. So in wrapping this up today, what, what am I really pointing at here? This is real and it is getting worse. And there are some things that we need to do to be concerned about ourselves and our families, as well as the people around us who may be health compromised or have other challenges. Uh, the vaccine. Yes, we're making progress, but it is going to be months before that is available to enough people 
to have a huge impact on turning this around. And so what is the short-term response? I think that we're, we're going to see it and we're going to see political pushback. That's why I'm bringing it up. But we're going to see restrictions. Uh, we're going to see hopefully short-term because if people do them, they will work. Uh, uh, the incoming Biden administration, he's already mentioned in the last few days, asking everyone to mask for 100 days. They'll put in some regulations and some restrictions where they can to do that. But again, it's going to be voluntary. It's going to be up to people being willing to do that. And finally, it's going to be the, the recognition of this as a very serious and challenging issue and finding a collaborative way to work through it in supporting government and supporting local officials and supporting our medical care workers and supporting those who, who need the medical care and attention uh, so that we can overcome this. We'll give this more attention in the weeks ahead. I appreciate you joining me today uh, for another edition of On Politics right here each week at noon on Sundays on KTRL 90.5 FM.